In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 20, Paul applies the doctrines of chapters 1 through 3 in how a believer should be investing his life. How do you spend your life? Investment strategies, which we looked last week, investment strategies are always a focus on the eternal. It's a focus on the future look. And Paul is saying, let's, let's back up for a moment and not get caught up in everything that's happening right now. And let's make sure we remember what's happening right now can be used for eternity. He says, knowing the evil, knowing the wickedness has no future. In other words, remember we looked last week at, is, is there pleasure in doing wickedness right now? Yes. Is it something that could attract us? Possibly, if you're just looking at that moment. But what he reminds us of, he says, seeing that there's no future in this, let's invest in what does have a future. Let's invest in what is important. So, as we look at the section of Scripture, what I want you to remember this week is we looked at verses 15 through 20 last week. We're beginning at verse 21 this week, but as we begin in verse 21, what I want you to notice is it's a continuation of the thought from verses 15 through 20. So hopefully that will keep that together for you. Beginning at verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, Submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present him that he might present it to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that it should be holy and without blemish so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies he that loveth his wife loveth himself for no man ever yet hated his own flesh but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the lord the church for we are members of his body of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and they shall and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. When I search the internet for the perfect marriage, the top 10 hits were a movie. 15 kids, Good Housekeeping did a questionnaire and 15 kids were asked their thoughts on marriage. One question was, when is it okay to kiss someone? Eight-year-old Howard said, the rule goes like this. If you kiss someone, then you should marry them and have kids. It's just the right thing to do. Seven-year-old Kurt said, the law says you have to be 18, so I wouldn't want to mess with that. 
And seven-year-old Pam says, when they're rich. <laughs> Second question, what is the right age to get married? Ten-year-old Camille said, 23 is the best age because you've known the person forever by then. Six-year-old Freddie, no age is good to get married. You gotta be a fool to get married. And how can you tell, how can a stranger tell if two people are married? Derek, who's age eight says, you might have to guess based on whether they seem to be yelling at the same kids. <laughs> how do you decide who to marry? Alan, age 10 said, You've got to find someone who likes the same stuff. Like, if you like sports, she should like it that you like sports and she should keep the chips and dip coming. And 10-year-old Kristen, no one really decides before they grow up who they're going to marry. God decides it way before and you get to find out later who you're stuck with. Each of these responses tells you a little bit of their childishness, but it probably also tells you a little bit about their home life. And based on what they have seen and experienced in their home will tell you how they view marriage. You know, the further away we get from God's design back in Genesis, the more marriage is viewed as something that's broken, that we really don't want it. So what does marriage look like? Can you have a good marriage? Is it just an old-fashioned relic? If it isn't, how can you have a good marriage? One man, his quote on this is, marriage is neither heaven nor hell. It's simply purgatory. Barbara, uh, Barbara DeAngelis said, marriage is not a noun, it's a verb. It isn't something you get, it's something you do. It's the way you love your partner every day. And I like Franz Schubert. His comment was, happy is the man who finds a true friend. And happier and far happier is he who finds that true friend in his wife. So as we begin looking at our text, I just want to remind you this morning that verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God is connected to all of the evidences of the Holy Spirit being in your life. Remember last week we looked at, he said, don't be drunk with wine, don't be under the control of a substance, but rather be under the control of the Holy Spirit. And how the control of the Holy Spirit impacts everything we do. Remember he talks about speaking to yourselves. It impacts your speech. It impacts your songs, singing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making it, uh, singing and making melody in your heart. The third thing it does is, remember he talks about giving thanks always, recognizing, seeing God's fingerprints in what's going on around you. You know, when you have grandchildren or maybe a grand dog that would come and visit you depending on where you are in life, and you, you see the door, sometimes you'll either see children's fingerprints or you see dog nose prints. And you can tell, okay, they got a dog here. They've got children here. They've got grandchildren here. So, in the same way, sometimes, though we may not see God, we can see what God's been doing. Being grateful. But notice the last evidence of being controlled by the Holy Spirit is in verse 21. And that is, he says, 
submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Do you know it is God's will? He says, don't be unwise. He says, understand what the will of the Lord is. What is the will of the Lord? That every one of us today would be under the control of the Holy Spirit. At some point, we might talk about how can we discern the will of God. We use that term, and there are a lot of things in Scripture where it says, and this is the will of God, and this is the will of God. But what I want you to notice is, here in this text, God's will is that each of us would just be under the control of the Holy Spirit. And it changes the way we act. Now, when I got to this text this morning, for some of you, it might have raised your blood pressure a little bit. You've heard this text used, and in fact, you may have uh, become discouraged with this. Possibly you have somewhat been beat up with this text. John Phillips says this verse, talking specifically about wives submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord, this verse often is taken out of context and has caused many husbands to repress their wives and many wives to be resentful and rebellious. Standing alone, this, scene, this verse seems to be arbitrary and unfair, but it does not stand alone. The biggest thing as we study Scripture is always keep Scripture in context. Context means you have to read the verses before and you have to read the verses after and make sure that what you're wanting the Scripture to say, it actually says that. So I hope this morning that I won't cause blood pressure problems for some of you. And I hope this morning that instead of feeling this oppression that's going to come over you and you're going to, I know what he's going to talk about. Submit, 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 submit. Well, let's just look at the text. And let's see what it tells us. He begins, and let's look at, the, at this text again where we read, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now remember, what he's going to do is he's going to talk about how do we submit one to another and specifically, how does that work in a home? Okay, because remember, 21, speaking about, here's an evidence of the Holy Spirit, that we submit one to another in the reverence, in the respect in the deep gratefulness that we have to God. Now he says, all right, let's apply this. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought husbands to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Now I'm going to skip ahead to verse 33. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We're going to pause there because that kind of brackets this, how does a Christian live in their home? The next section of scripture talks about how does a Christian live in their business world? And all of it goes back to we need to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit for this to be taking place in our lives. So let's look and see. The word submit here. Sometimes the question is asked, all right, so does the word, what does the word submit? And there's two different ways to look at it. There is one, the passive voice, meaning like one has to do under a dictatorship. Why do people submit under a dictator? because they'll get clobbered if they don't. The other one is in a middle voice, which means that the person chooses to do something. And it's this middle voice that I believe this is describing. And there's two reasons why. First of all, um, because as you, as you think about this, he compares it to the church. Now, why do we submit to the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it something where out of fear and dictatorship that we say, I've got to submit or else God's going to clobber me? Maybe you've been taught that, but that doesn't follow what the scriptures have done. Look at how the Lord Jesus Christ treated the church. The way he treated the church causes the person to choose to submit, to want to submit. So... Notice it says, wives, unto your own husbands. Interestingly enough, if you go back to the language this was written in, the word submit isn't in verse 22. Why? Because he's saying, here's the application. Verse 21, submit yourselves one to another. So, wives, to your own husbands. Oh. And then he's going to say, husbands to your wives. And then he's going to say, children to your parents. Now, we can put it into duty, but the Apostle Paul's been very clear. The reason why we can do this is because we are under the influence of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that is such an incredible gift that often in our circles... We overlook the Holy Spirit. We turn it into duties. We turn it into, you've got to do these things. But the reality is, God has said, because of what I've given you, and because of the doctrine I've already taught you in chapters 1 through 3, here's something that a Christian home looks like as compared to a non-Christian home. In a Christian home, we are submitting one to another. And specifically, what does that look like for the wife? The wife is submitting to the husband. Now, the scriptures are real clear. There is no difference between a husband and wife. He's broken down all barriers. There's no male, no female, no, there's no Jew, there's no Greek. There is no barbarian, there's no... And he goes through this whole list and he says, what? He's made all one. But when he did that... So we're all the same, but he has put an economy, a function in. 
And that function is, he says, all right, here's your role, here's your role, here's your role. We've lost that when it comes to government. Do you know God has a role for government? And in government, there are people that we then submit to. Not because they're necessarily good people. We do it because of their position. In the same way here, he begins by saying, Wives, because you have the Holy Spirit, your role in the home is a role that is under a head. And he says, I want you to submit to them as unto the Lord. Do it as unto the Lord. Do it as a way to show honor to the Lord. Not because of how that person always acts. And that takes the pressure off you. Ladies, think for a moment in, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, where he is, he, Peter is teaching the same principle. He says, likewise, you women, how do you, and he specifically says, what do you do if you have a husband who won't even listen to the scriptures? You go, okay, now, now, now I'm getting it. Even if you have a husband who's not listening to the scriptures and not operating by the scriptures, he says, by the way you act in the home, you literally can win your husband without even a word. When they won't listen to the word, you can win them. How does that take place? And how can you live in that kind of environment? Well, you do that by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Now, he is not saying, women, and this is really important. Like I said, if this verse is taken out of context, sometimes there's abuse that takes place. Husbands have no right to abuse. Husbands have no right to take advantage of. Men, this is not the doctrine of you're the king of your castle and you can do as you please because I'm number one. That's not what scripture teaches at all. But he does begin and he says, ladies, it's okay. Show honor and reverence to your husband, appreciating his role. And we're going to come back to that truth in verse 33 in just a moment. He then moves on and he gives this explanation. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he's the savior of the body, verse 23. Now, lest we get confused with that, we know one thing for certain. In verse 23, it is not teaching that you've got to be married to be saved. And we also know that there is, that there is nothing there that says that husbands can in any way save their wife. That's totally Christ alone. So what is it teaching us? The, the, the closest thing we could say for the end of verse 23 is this. And that is, men, we have a responsibility to protect. And ladies, don't be afraid to accept whatever protection that husband may offer, even if they may not do a great job of it. In the Old Testament, there were times that a husband could protect a wife, and maybe the wife agreed to something that in, in hindsight she shouldn't have. The Old Testament even allowed for the husband to say, no, that's not going to take place, and the lady was released from that. 
In America, it used to be that way. I can't say that that would be that way now. But it was always in a protection mode. What does a Christian home look like? A wife that is able to trust God to say, I'm going to trust God to work through my husband. The illustration that is given in 1 Peter chapter 3 is of Sarah and Abraham. That's about the worst analogy I can think of. Of Here's a husband who says, honey, so that I don't get hurt, let's pretend that we're just brother and sister. Oh, okay. I'm sure that went over really good with Sarah. And I'm going to give you to this guy. Now, what we don't know, and what I believe would have taken place, is I believe... God stepped in, and in fact, Scripture says, supernaturally protected Sarah so that the man did not attack her when Abraham gave his wife over as if she were a sister. Ladies, the comfort, the comfort that it brings is you have an almighty God who can take care of you, who will protect you. It doesn't mean that she would have followed through with it. I believe there was a point where Sarah would have said, uh-uh. She went as far as she could go, and she would have stopped when she would have violated God's laws. So, ladies, when your husband asks you to violate God's laws, it doesn't mean I obey, I submit to my husband regardless. No. God is still your ultimate authority. But your attitude is submitting one to another in the economy so that the home functions well. You can give an opinion. You can raise questions. You can say, I don't think this is a good idea, but at the end of the day, someone's gonna make a decision in your home. And that's where you are willingly, you choose to place yourself under someone. That's the reason why I would really encourage both you men and women, marriage is really important. I don't know if you saw just recently a movie star was drunk. He got married, and I think it lasted, I can't remember how many days it was, and he said, I didn't really know what I was doing. Let me encourage you with this. Marriage is really important. Always go to God with that and don't be in a hurry. Think it through, because ladies, that's going to be someone that you're going to be tied to. Men, that's going to be a lady that you're going to be taking care of the rest of your life. And so you want to make sure that you are really thinking that decision through. Verse 24, therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, as the church submits to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. You say, wow, that's really a bitter pill to swallow. And I understand the world is so messed up right now. We look at that and we say, how could that ever be? But you need to understand, remember, this is part of that whole aspect of could you ever work within that environment? Yes, when you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now let's go on. Husbands, love your wives. So we have this interesting thing. Ladies, he addresses the thing that's probably the hardest thing in your life. To place yourself under another authority rather than being the authority. And men, he addresses the hardest thing in our lives, and that is to love. 
for whatever reason, it's easy for us to respect what our wives do. And ladies would say, it's easy. I can love my husband. I just don't respect him. I don't reverence him. And guys, we can respect our wives. We just don't really love them. Therefore, he says, in the role you're in, he says, husbands, love your wife. And then he gives this analogy. He says, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So let's pause there for just a moment. What's he saying? Here's what love looks like, men. Love is intentional. Love is on purpose. When you, someone says, well, I love this girl. Well, maybe they do. Maybe they're just enamored with how she looks. Maybe they want something from her. That's not love. Love, according to the text here, is in the same way that Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He loved the church when she wasn't real lovely. He loved her with the purpose of helping her, not what he would get, but what he could give to her. Christ loved the church thinking of the church's benefit so that when it came time for the ultimate thing that the church needed most, a savior who would die on the cross, what was the response? I wish I didn't have to go through this, but I will go through this for the sake of the church. Can you see the relationship, the dynamic in a home, submitting one to another? Why would a husband love that way? Because he is submitting to her and saying, I'm willing to give of myself for her. And I submit, I put my desires under so that I can help her. Sadly, like I said so often, these verses are taken out of context. In the context of it, how could we as husbands ever love our wives that way? Empowered by the Holy Spirit. I'm a selfish guy. I look out for number one. Yet under the Holy Spirit, I stop and I can think, what would be best for Cindy? What would I like to do right now? Well, I can tell you what I'd like to do right now. But what would be best for her? Why does Cindy submit her desires and put herself under? It's only the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, we, we, we can't discount this incredible gift, the incredible power that God's given to us in the Holy Spirit. That's the reason why every day we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. And we talked about the difference between having the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember the difference? When you got saved, God said he gave you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is sealed in you until you're resurrected, which means there's never a time you're living that you're not going to have the Holy Spirit in your life. But being filled with the Holy Spirit means being under the control of the Holy Spirit. That is manifested in our speech in our attitudes and in our actions, in the way we conduct ourselves. So he goes on and he says, 
as the way Christ loved the church for this purpose, that he could help the church be what it's not. Husband, you know, one of the most unusual things in life is the fact that God allows you and me to be an agent to help our spouse be what they ought to be and can be. That's a crushing responsibility. I'll just, from my vantage point, that one day I'm going to stand before the Lord and he's going to say, what did you do with my girl Cindy? What did you do with my daughter? I placed her in your home and you're responsible to help her grow and to change and to become the kind of lady that I wanted her to be. She wasn't all that she was supposed to be, but that was your responsibility to pay attention to that. To help her. That means there are some, there are some hobbies you're not going to get to do, Mike. There's some things you can't do. Why? Because you can't do both. You can't take care of your wife. You can't take care of your children, which we're going to see in chapter 6. You can't do all that and do this all-consuming hobby that you want to do. You know, is there a day maybe that I will do some of those hobbies? Well, when I have the time. But I got to finish what's on my plate before I can add things to my plate. You see, men, what he's describing for us, he says, ladies, put yourself in the role that I have you and trust me. Men, you need to make sure that you're loving the way you should be loving. Let's go on. Verse 28, so, at, so ought men to love their wives as their own body. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. So what is he describing for us? He's telling us, he says, men, he says, in the same way that you look out for yourself, that you would take care of yourself, make sure you're taking care of your wife. Verse 29, no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. You know, those two words, nourishing and cherishing, the word nourish, this word only shows up one other time um, in the New Testament. It's used often in the Old Testament. And you know where that is? In chapter 6, verse 4, where it talks about dads. How are you supposed to treat your children? You know, dads, you're supposed to treat your wife and your children the same way, and that is, I mean, we could say the word nourish has the idea, we say, well, I need to get some nourishment, I need to eat. But there's more than just providing, putting bread on the table for your family. The idea here that he's talking about nourishing has the idea of physical, psychological, and spiritual. That means for us as men, we're, we're responsible for the Lord to make sure that physically our families are being taken care of. Psychologically, our families are being taken care of. And spiritually, our families are being taken care of. Wow, that, that puts a lot of responsibility on us. Obviously, the only way I could ever do that is to be very dependent and under the control of the Holy Spirit. Because i got to make decisions every day i got to make decisions that are not going to necessarily be Cindy's or Zach's top choice. Now, 
I'm so thankful that just as with wives, you can do what you do under the, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and men, we can do what we're supposed to do under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and children will come to you in another week or so, probably once we get through Easter, and we will talk about how do you, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, do these things. But we come back to this truth, and that is we are to nourish, provide for, and then the second word there is to cherish. It comes from the word heat, and it has the idea of tender care. Tender care. Paul, the only other place this is used is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 where Paul says, I treated you as a nurse that cherishes. It's tender care. Wow, guys. Think about this for a moment. If we treated our spouse, our children with tender care, I don't want to do anything that would hurt my wife. I don't want to do anything that would hurt my child. And then the illustration goes back again as Christ with the church. Do you know Christ provides all that we need physically, emotionally, and spiritually? We don't have to go anywhere else. He's all of our resources. And he has tender care for us today. Can you see why the idea of God being this God that's ready to swing his heavenly baseball bat and clobber us just doesn't fit the analogy? Because of the word choices he used, he's saying, God so loves you, he so tenderly cares for you. Now, there are going to be times when God tells me, no, Mike, you can't do that. But why does he do that? Because he tenderly cares for me, and it would be of damage to me. We go on, and he talks about this unique thing. We are members of his body. Remember how he taught us that in chapters 1 and then fleshed it out in chapter 2? How God is taking the doctrines of the church and the application of what that means then when we do this in our homes and in our bodies here. Then in uh, verse 31, usually he has given us some kind of indicator that he's going to be quoting from the Old Testament. Obviously, in this text, he's quoting from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, where in Genesis we read God's plan for a family. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. And what is he describing here? He's quoting from Genesis, and he's saying, here is what a Christian family should look like. He says, men, be willing to leave. The idea is to leave remaining, to leave in the place and be able to cleave. The word cleave there is interesting. It's not the word for to nail or to hammer or to, to somehow use maybe a fastener to put two pieces of wood together. Many of you, I'm sure, have heard this. It's the idea of to glue together. So men, when you get married, two things have to take place. The order of relationship and how you're going to operate in your home is now totally different. 
when I got married, now I put my family above my parents and my siblings. I still love them. But he says, you leave alone, you walk away from this for the purpose of this. So that means it's going to be easy. And sometimes parents don't get this concept and they will put a lot of pressure on you. They're going to make you feel guilty because you're not taking care of them. But the thing you do with your families, your parents, your siblings, is only after you've taken care of your family and you and your husband, you and your wife have to have that conversation. You know, there are times, Cindy just went to see her parents recently. You know, they're not only her parents, but they're my parents and they're the only parents we've got left. My parents are now gone. They're in heaven. Now, we don't like to be apart. We love to spend our days together. We got married for that reason. If, if you don't like to be with somebody, I'd recommend not getting married. Okay? But we both said, you need to make sure you're seeing your parents. See, that's not putting parents over. I don't feel any pressure that she somehow has over-prioritized her parents over me. We had the conversation. We love them. They, she could help them. With Zach at home, it wasn't that she and I both could go at this time because Zach couldn't miss school. So I stayed while she went. But it was a mutual thing where we were understanding it was an us decision. So let me just encourage you. Maybe that's something you need to be working out with your spouse. Maybe family creates a lot of stress in your marriage. And you need to remember, God's plan was first your spouse and your children, then your family members. You say, I don't know if I can do that. There's so much of this that's totally when you're trusting God. You're under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Now you have the confidence, I can trust God to take care of these other things while I do what God said is my number one priority. Then he makes this comment in... Um, uh, let me just come make one other comment about, and they, uh, they shall be joined unto his wife. The idea, I mentioned glue. If you've ever tried to break something that's been well glued, now I've glued some things poorly in my life, but if I did it right, when you go to try to break that glue job, pieces come out of both. If I try to break the wood, I've got a chunk that's come out, it's splintered here, and that's always the way it is when you try to separate a marriage. Divorce is just never good. It's always messy. Now, we live in a world where that happens. How do we view people? We love people. Do I encourage people not to get a divorce? Absolutely. Why? Because God says, it's going to be messy. It's going to hurt them. You've not hurt me if you got a divorce. I love you. And we as a church love you. And we don't look down on you. It's just messy. And God says, when a marriage takes place and you're glued together, it'll never come apart cleanly. It just doesn't. Then he says in verse 32, this is a great mystery. Now, what's the mystery? Now, mystery meaning, in Scripture, when you hear the word mystery, it means the idea of something that has not been before 
revealed. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Behold, I show you a mystery. We won't all sleep. We won't all die, but we all will be raised. What's he talking about? He's talking about something that up to this point people didn't understand. Now, what's he describing? You know, there's something we did not understand, and that is how could... I mean, let this try to settle in. That we are joined, that we are united, that we are glued together with Christ? You know, what doctrine does that tell you? It tells you the eternal security of the believer because you can't be separated from Christ. Romans chapter 8 tells us. What could separate us? Nothing can separate us. And the unique picture of a marriage doing that. But he says, you know, he said, now I'm, I'm, this is a great mystery. He said, the mystery is I'm speaking about Christ in the church, how that could be. Now we come to verse 33. Verse 33, nevertheless, let every one of you, you know, he goes back from talking about the church and then he brings it back to each of us as individuals. He says, nevertheless, let every one of you, the personal responsibility here, in particular, so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. I'm going to pause there for just a moment. I don't have a lot of time here, but I want us to just think for a moment. The two issues, talked about submitting, talked about respect, that thing being under, see that she reverence. What are the two things that are so important in a marriage? Love and respect. Love and reverence. And you notice which one he said for which one. Husbands, love your wife. What does that look like? Go out of your way to make sure she sees your love for her. It's not just enough to say, honey, I love you. But you demonstrate that. You do those deeds that mean a lot. Now, it's possible that she doesn't want you to help her in the kitchen. It's possible. But if you would take time to learn what you could do to be a help to her in the kitchen, you could show love. You can do those things for her. You can help around the house. And you can do those things not because you necessarily love to do them, like she loves to do them. I don't think so. You are demonstrating love by the things that you can do for her. When you think about her throughout the day, an occasional text that just says, thinking about you, I'd rather be with you. I'm not talking about when you're on jury duty, okay? I'm talking about just throughout normal day when you're saying, I'd love to be with you. Think what that would do. It lets her know you value her, and of all the women in the world, you would rather be with her. That gives her confidence. That gives her security. Don't be like the man that you know said, look, I told her when we got married I loved her. If I ever change my mind, I'll let her know. That doesn't mean much to the lady. They want to know that you're still enamored with her. You think about how you can apply that. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you every day. How can I show my wife that I love her?
ladies. So she, so, and, um, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Now this is the same idea that we see back in verse 21, where it talks about submitting one to another in the fear of God. When you really are so enamored with and so grateful for what God has done, it impacts the way you do it. The word reverence here, ladies, how can you really show respect? You know, the, the one thing often men are accused of is being workaholics. We work, we work, we work, we work, we work. And we take pride in that. And sometimes, ladies, we take that for granted. We, we may hug on them, we may love them, but we don't really show the respect and, you know, simple ways we can do that is to just pause and say, I'm so grateful for what you do. Thank you for providing for us as a family. Do it at the table sometimes. Here, you prepared the meal, but say, you know, were it not for dad working so hard, were it not for this, we couldn't have what we have. And I'm just so thankful for your dad. Maybe a text in the middle of the day, honey, thank you for working so hard. Thank you for all your effort. You know what that does for a guy? I'll work a little harder. We can do this. You know, it's the, yeah. What's the difference? When we know that what we do matters and that it causes our, and that our wife looks at us with respect and says, you're the kind of guy that I still am glad I'm married to. And men, when we love our wife, it says, you're the lady above all ladies I'm so glad I'm married to. You say, well, that's really great when you've got a husband that's doing that. And that's really great when you've got a wife that's doing that. But what about when I don't? And I'm sorry. But that's the reason why you need the Holy Spirit. We do what we do because God says this is the right way to do it. This is the best way to do it. This is the thing we should be doing. So what does Christianity, you know, he's been talking about what does it look like in our characteristics in chapter 4, and what does it look like in our character in chapter 5, and now we come to what does Christian living look like in the home. Rather than giving you a big old long list, you notice what he did? He said, men, love your wife. And you say, well, what's that look like? Well, in the same way that Christ has loved the church. He died for it. He took it when it didn't look so pretty. Before, before the church had time to put on makeup and comb the hair, still, still loves the church. And how does the church respond to Christ? How would you like things done? Love to just do things that please you, Father. Love to do things that make... Jesus Christ, just smile. It's not that we're earning something. It's just we're showing his worth. Ladies, just do the things that let him know you value his worth. And even if he's not, and even if she's not responding right now, you keep doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit because... 
that's at least half of what God said a Christian in the home should look like. And fascinatingly, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you know what he says? He says, because you don't know if you're going to be the very avenue that causes that one to come to know Christ. Maybe you've already married, and you're married to an unsafe person. Now, Scripture says that's not a good idea, but Scripture also says if you're in that condition, don't get out of it. Instead, the greatest mission field you will ever be on is the one that you're in 24-7 in your home. I just always want to make sure you understand, so I'm going to go around the barn one more time on this, and that is maybe you've gone through a situation where your marriage has been, where you've gone through a divorce. What does that mean to you? With us, we love you. It doesn't really change things. Often, in fact, I've been with people that they've been married so long at this point no one really even knows they've ever gone through something else. It's part of your testimony of God's grace in your life. God's still good, isn't he? But don't let that hold you back from being what God wants you to be now. Love and reverence. How can this begin today? Husbands, demonstrate your love. Look for ways to demonstrate your love. Wives, how can you do this? Show reverence by the way you show appreciation. And it's impossible to do it without the Holy Spirit.